Hi, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited to have uh, our guest with us here today. Our guest is Mike Orlando. He's the CEO of Yapstone. Thanks for coming on the show, Mike. Hey, Jay. Great. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Well, why don't you tell people a little bit about your career and experiences and how you got to where you are today? So I've been in kind of the go-to-market commercial side of technical sales for a long time. Um, spent a lot of time in the payment processing industry, which is, uh, doesn't sound exciting, but actually is, is actually a fun and complicated business to, to be in, uh, kind of started in it before, uh, you know, FinTech was FinTech and FinTech was cool. But uh, now that it is like a great career and everybody wants to be a FinTech, which, uh, I, I find interesting. Um, I kind of parlayed a lot of business experience with companies I worked for, it, uh, into, uh, starting my own company back in 2014, uh, a company called FitPay, uh, and we built out a, a, an infrastructure and application to allow people to make contactless payments on devices. So you think about Apple Pay and uh, Google Pay, uh, we connected Garmin and Swatch and, and a bunch of other different devices that weren't on those platforms to, to allow their users to pay with a watch or with something else. And so, uh, that business uh, was interesting because we were trying to build a new market in an area that didn't really have traction yet. Apple had just launched. Actually, they announced Apple Pay the day we started our company. And my co-founder and I like, holy, what do we get into now? But we figured out like if the biggest company in the world is going to have the same idea I was going to do what we were going to do, that could be a successful business. And it turned out that it, it, it was. The card networks embraced us. They thought it was cool that we had an alternative to what some of the big guys were doing. And it brought companies that weren't familiar with payments uh, into the ecosystem and, and and Garmin ended up taking off with it and then acquiring the company uh, from us about five years later. That's so fun. Well, isn't it funny how sometimes things just need a rebrand? FinTech. Yes. We're like, let's call it FinTech. And it exactly. became sexy. cool. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the sexy new, sexy new thing. So what eventually brought you to Yapstone? Was that through the acquisition? Or was that post-acquisition, uh, you kind of made the transfer over? Uh, that was post-acquisition. Um, about a year after the acquisition, I spent some time doing some consulting work and others. And I'd known about Yafson, the company has been around for 22 years, so I knew of them from the industry and, and what have you. Uh, they had just uh, moved out of a founder CEO to bringing on a, a CEO. So I came in as, initially as the chief operating officer and helping him I clean up a lot of the operational inefficiencies and things that were going on in the company and then, you know, identifying opportunities for where we were going to be able to grow and kind of move a, a, what had been a legacy business for a long time kind of into new markets and, and new marketplaces. Uh, for a year and a half, uh, the board decided to make a change there, uh, put me in the CEO spot, and I've been around the company for the last uh, 12, 14 months or so. It's amazing. Well, that's a... Really interesting place, I think, to start because I think this is every entrepreneur has had this question. You've had the experience to start your own company. You've now run a, another company that was founded by someone else. What do you think entrepreneurs should be thinking of as they start thinking, maybe it's time for me to let someone come in? What is some wisdom? Because I think it's something that you as an entrepreneur know this. Every entrepreneur thinks about when has the company kind of grown to a point where it needs someone else? Yeah, I, I think that's the uh, the hardest part is to have that level of self-awareness 
and understanding like where your limitations are, uh, but and more so like where your time and your skills are best served. It may not be as the CEO. Like it, it may have outgrown your, but you may be really have some the technical acumen of what you do helps you become uh, a better strategist and technical leader and where the product's going to go. In, in my case, I'm, I'm a business leader. Like I, I, I know customers, I know markets, I know how to engage relationships. And so um, I knew when I was going to start my own company that I had to have a really strong technical co-founder to bring in. And so I, I brought in someone that I knew I could trust and, and, and do that. And so I knew those limitations coming in. And I think for everyone, you get to a place where you've got to know where it's best to hand off to, to someone else. Uh, the, the biggest thing though, that I'll say there is you got to ensure that you can trust that person and stay active in whatever those activities are. Uh, particularly as your company is small, obviously as you grow and you get bigger, uh, you get far further and further from the, from the day to day. Uh, but as you're building out that company and, and you're growing your staff and you're starting to bring in people to, to lend expertise in the certain functions, uh, stay connected to it as best you can. Do you think there's a time that's too early? I mean, is there a time where people should be like, not yet, or is it just dependent on the situation? I think it really depends on the situation. Uh, you know, you've got to get to a place where uh, there's critical mass and it really comes down to uh, if you're spending, you know, 20 hours of your day and you're chasing small problems, that's probably the right time to start bringing it up because as the founder, as the person that is the driver behind the business of success, and really the person that has the most vested and invested in whether the company is successful or not, uh, you've got to be focusing on the big things. Uh, and it's very easy to get sucked into small problems and small everyday problems other people can solve for you. That's the time to, to, to really have that uh, the conversation with yourself, or someone may have to have it with you to get you to, to that point. Because uh, I, I could be as stubborn as, as, as anyone uh, out there, uh, but having that conversation with yourself and, and understanding where, when the right time is, uh, it's difficult, but uh, I think you'll know by the time and, and when you feel that kind of mental and physical exhaustion that I'm just doing too many little things and I'm not, the, the big stuff's not happening. Yeah. Well, and I think there's definitely some times where you start to have that feeling of, I don't know how to solve the problems that I'm dealing with. And that starts to become very challenging. If you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like this just seems to be bigger problems than I know how to deal with. And, and, and it might not be people that you bring in full-time in your organization. Uh, when I talk to other entrepreneurs um, and people that are thinking about starting a business or even just executives, uh, I encourage everyone to find a mentor and find a sounding board outside of your organization that you can go to and run situations by them, um, provide uh, thoughts that you may may not have come to on your own, uh, maybe make, give you network connections to help you solve some of these uh, business problems or opportunities, really, uh, that you may not have the resources or the experience to do. So expand your network as quickly and as vastly as you can and really outside of your own bubble. Um, that may not be in your industry or people or your area of expertise. Um, look for people that you can lean on and trust and get advice from and that are available for you. That's awesome. Uh, that's really, really smart advice. Um, 
what other things have you learned? I mean, you've as you've transitioned into uh, maybe a role where where you're leading a larger organization, and I mean, less than ten years ago, we're running an organization that it sounds like the two of you started yourselves. Uh, what has been some key learnings there? Yeah, it's interesting too because I went from running an organization that was about 350 people. Uh, the company overall was about 800. My group in that company was 350, and then decided I'm going to go do my own thing, and <laughs> to a group of like two of us, to grew to about 40. But uh, and now it's kind of come full circle again. Uh, but I mean, I think the, the the biggest thing is, you know, like I said earlier, you build a good team. Yep. Make sure that that team is inspired and empowered to make good decisions and you're validating those decisions for them. Um, and you've got to have resilience. You've got to be able to know that most days things that aren't going to run perfectly, but you got to kind of pound through those days and always look for the best outcome for every situation. And just keep driving towards those best outcomes. That's amazing. Um, what, tell us more about Yapstone. I read some things on the website, uh, understand a little bit, but tell us kind of more about what you guys do. Yeah. So we're, um, we're in the short-term vacation rental business, if you will. So we, uh, we, our customers are large real estate firms, typically like property management companies that have, uh, homes either within their portfolio or owners that come to them and say, hey, I want to put my, my home up as a vacation rental. And they manage that on their behalf. It's, it's rare, but sometimes we do have individual homeowners that come to us. Our business is very different than an Airbnb or Verbo, uh, in that uh, we're strictly vacation long term. You know, we call it short term vacation, but the stays are anywhere from one to two weeks to thirty days. Uh, where in those businesses, it's typically like a weekend or overnight or something like that. Uh, and all of our properties, we've got about twelve thousand properties in our uh, underneath our portfolios, uh, are in vacation oriented ways. So they're in. Hawaii, they're on uh, in North Carolina, they're in Chesapeake Bay, they're in the Florida Panhandle, they're in the, uh, the mountains of, uh, you know, they're in Aspen or wherever. And they're homes that you would rent with your family, with other families, and, and kind of and take that type of vacation experience. And we provide all the back-end payment acceptance of the security deposits, the fundings of, of those transactions, collecting the, uh, the second payments and other payments that are due on the end. And so to take all the, the complexity out of the, the payment acceptance for our property managers and let them focus on marketing and renting out their, their properties. Yeah, I love it. That's that's awesome. We Every year we do a, a rent-a-house, a beach house in Newport Beach and probably probably through you guys' <laughs> platform. <laughs> we used to do that. That's what we did when I was a kid. We lived. I lived in uh, South Orange County, like a little further south, but like yeah. our vacation, rent a house in Newport Beach for a week or two. It's so fun. Yeah. So as you came into that, I mean, you had industri- uh, industry experience. You understood that industry. But as, as someone who is kind of tasked with like, hey, come in and take this to the next level, because I think this would help for entrepreneurs to understand even just some of that like decision-making around like, should I do it? How did you approach the business? And what were some of the things that you started thinking about for them from a strategic level? Yeah. So the, the, the first thing was um, when I came in and started talking about the business model and understanding uh, how we were uh, charging our customers and the fees and where revenue was coming in, uh, th- there was uh, a pretty 
quick awakening to the fact that uh, there was a lot of things that were being left on the table and uh, revenue that we were taking in. And so we went through what we call the revenue leakage project and we identified 12 different items within the company where we could go back in and either make sure we were billing for those, uh, change the pricing a bit to to, to remain competitive, but more uh, in the market, some things that we hadn't paid attention to uh, previously, and or uh, potentially remove costs out of the out of the business. Uh, and when we did that, the first year impact was about four and a half million dollars, so you know, pretty significant. Um, that was the first thing we wanted to do. Is like, okay, how do we shore up some of this stuff? Um, and the second thing, just looked at processes uh, within the organization. Um, you know. My philosophy is like you want to create an environment for people to always be able to do their best work. And if uh, what they're doing is too cumbersome or not getting support from their peers or other departments, uh, I wanted to come in and, and help uh, create that efficiency with the organization. And so uh, we look cross-functionally across the teams and to understand, hey, what are you doing every day? Uh, why are you doing it? And uh, who's who's accountable, who you, who's accountable for what the tasks that you're doing, uh, and do they really need it? And, and the interesting thing about that exercise is when we ask people just, you know, go day by day, what are the things you did and, and, and how are you getting those done? Uh, we, we found a good, good example. We found someone in our, uh, a data services guy in our uh, finance team, uh, that was providing, doing a report every day, took him about 20 minutes to pull this report. Nobody ever read it. Like no, nobody knew why the report, nobody knew the report was there. He didn't know. Like he, he was just like, it was on his task list to do this report. Uh, and it just sat there. So send like, it out to the ether. Like, really simple, right? But <laughs> no one ever told him, by the way, no one's ever looked, no one's looking at that report anymore. Stop doing it. So he would just every day do, do the things. <laughs> it sounds simple, but I mean, that, that's, that's how, that was the approach we get. Uh, when I took over as CEO, we had a lot of other issues uh, in terms of uh, my predecessor had expanded the business really quickly. We didn't have the revenue to support it. So we had to do some significant uh, reorientation, restructuring, recalibration of the business, uh, which was painful for a lot of folks, but also helped everyone in the organization develop a new identity about who we wanted to be and who we could be, uh, and really rallied everyone around kind of the core capabilities of our platform. Who our customers were, who our partners were, um, and brought us that uh, that focus, and, and br- really brought the team together. So it was painful for for seven or eight months, but uh, uh, we we kind of pushed through that. Just completed, uh, we, we completed uh, an uh, agreement for a merger, and we're in the process of merging with another organization, which will help us as well. A lot of work, a lot of stuff you've been up to. Yeah, yeah, a lot, that's it. Uh, well, I fly in, in my part time. Uh, I did my got my pilot's license. I started during COVID and then decided to continue on. So I just got my pilot's private pilot's license not long ago. Uh, working on my interest, instrument rating. So that's actually very. It's complicated and uh, mind bending. Like it, I, I understand why. Like a lot of guys, a lot of people do it when they're younger. It's like college, like you can do it when you're younger, but then as you're older, like too many things in your brain. Um, but uh, I enjoy it. So it's very therapeutic. It's quiet up there. You're quiet. You're focused on all this other stuff. You can't worry like worry about all the other problems in the world because you get to make sure that aircraft gets up, gets down. Can't be worried about emails and calls and all exactly. those things. <laughs> exactly. What kind of what kind of plane is it? Uh, it's a Cirrus. Uh, okay. 
SR SR22. So uh, my wife told me if uh, if I'm going to do this, I, I I have to make sure I'm safe and come home. And I'm like, well, the plane has a parachute, so hard. <laughs> That's pretty safe. Pretty. You know, pull the chute, and the, the the plane lands safely on the ground. Not, not good amazing. for the plane, but good for the passenger. Yes, Wor worth it in the case of a disaster scenario. So yeah, exactly. Which I hope I'd never have to be in. <laughs> yeah, you're like that's, <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. Never the thing to avoid. Um, well, I love so many things that you said. I, th I think one thing that I, I really want to call out that I think is so uh, important. I think especially for entrepreneurs is recognizing. I think so many entrepreneurs that I meet, I'm sure you've met many uh, that are very similar as well. There are, we're often kind of vision, big picture product people, uh, or, you know, we have an idea and then all of a sudden you get into the business. And as the business grows, I, I always kind of make this joke that like you go from worrying about the day to day and all of a sudden you're having conversations about like 2025, 26, 27, 28. And you go from daily planning to yearly planning and, and much bigger timelines, bigger projects, bigger numbers. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, all of a sudden they're like, it's almost, as you said, like having that self-awareness to, to be like, do I like this? Like, is this what I wanted to do? And is it what I'm also best at? And I think for a lot of people, it's not, not what they're best at. Yeah, no, I agreed. And, uh, that's the hardest part is um, kind of separating yourself from the things that you really like to, why you did the company, but the, the fact of, and what it takes to run it. And um, I, the first, one of the first businesses I started was a wine shop. And which seems odd for a technology guy to wine shop, but I loved wine. And so I felt like I love wine. I want to be in the wine business. Well, uh, loving wine and being in the wine business are like two completely different Thanks, because what ended up happening was uh, I had people there that were selling the wine and pouring and serving our customers and whatever. But I sat in the office most days, uh, doing the books, paying the taxes, you know, place reconciling invoices, things like that. And so I, I never really enjoyed the wine experience once I got into the wine business. And, and so that's something, you, you know, you've got to make sure like whatever you're doing, you're enjoying the experience of why you did it to begin with and let others do the other things because it was, if you had the idea, you had the strategy, you had the vision, that's where you're going to be most valuable. Well, and I think it's easy to fall into the kind of the hobby, exactly as you're saying, like you kind of have these things, you're like, I love this. I, this is, you know, my wife always, I, I start going down the like, we should buy a restaurant. <laughs> and she's like, you love food. That doesn't mean you should make it for, and I, I'm not like a, I'm going to become a chef, but I'm like, oh, that'd be fun. And it'd be fun to like own that and have people come to it. And then she talks sense into me. And it's, it's that same thing. Like just cause you enjoy going to restaurants and, or you enjoy sports doesn't mean you're going to enjoy the business of that thing. Correct. Yeah. Say like, we love having people over, but couldn't do it. Yeah, you know, it's okay if it's two or three couples. Like I couldn't do, uh, you know, uh, fifty tops a day a night. You know, and yeah, be rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Yeah, six, seven days a week. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's spot on. Like, uh, make sure, like, if you're going to be in that business, that you understand like what the business entails beyond the the fun things that you wanted that that you see about it. Um, the 
I think, you know, if anyone who's in something who started a business, any entrepreneur, like it all starts with the passion for whatever you're doing. And so that's where, especially when you get into like, you know, rougher waters, which always come, just bring yourself back to that center of where your passion of where it started and why you did it. Uh, and make sure that that gets passed down and passed over to everybody that's in the organization. That means your employees, your customers, your partners, your vendors, all those people understand like why it's important to you and why you started this business in the first place. It's great advice. It's something that uh, I think in the day-to-day fire, putting out fire kind of challenges of running a startup or being in a startup, it's so easy to kind of get so busy with all those things that you forget to kind of take that step back and say like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Do I like it? Am I excited about it? And what am I best at? Um, it sounds like during that process for you, you eventually realize like, man, I love leading the teams and, and the larger organization. That that's true. I, I love uh, building teams. I love leading teams. I love people. I love giving people their purpose every day. I, I love enabling them to do their best work. Um, I, I love doing it in my own company. I may do that again at some point. Uh, I'm doing it now for, for a group of 80 people that are fantastic, uh, People, group, group of individuals, uh, all love the company, love the business. Uh, we're really close, uh, have grown really close to each other, and uh, it makes for a really good place to show up every day. It's amazing. Well, as we kind of wrap up, is there any advice you'd give young entrepreneurs or maybe someone who's just new to entrepreneurship, young in the career? Uh, any advice you would give them on things that you've now learned through your career? Yeah. So, so the biggest thing I always come back to is you don't know what you don't know until you know it. So like, understand that and, uh, make sure like you're uncovering as much information as quickly as possible so that, uh, you're informed and, uh, capable of, of going to the next step. And so when catastrophes come ahead of you. Uh, so I've got this thing about, you know, out, uh, outsmarting the avalanche and, you know, uh, how do you, how do you get ahead of, uh, the snowfall that the snowpack that's coming down on top of you, uh, be aware of, of situations where that could happen and, and try and act ahead of them. Uh, and I mean, knowing ahead of what you don't know by figuring it out. It's crazy advice. I love it. Well, on that, uh, thank you, Mike, so much for coming. I have a page full of notes that I wrote for myself, which is always a good sign, uh, where I'm like, oh, I need I need to remember that. <laughs> That's a good one. So thank you for being willing to share your wisdom with us. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Good to, good to meet you, and, and uh, best of luck. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay, cheers.